Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, we are concluding our series on the great British post-punk slash alternative bands of the 80s with this week's guest, Leslie Woods, lead singer of the incredibly important post-punk band, The Au Pairs. Now, The Au Pairs, you know, they don't quite get as much pub as they probably deserve. They were short-lived, they didn't have any huge hits, Their music may not even appeal to everybody, but they were so aggressive politically, musically, and sexually that what they did was they moved the needle. Maybe it was only in small ways, but moving the needle the way that they did at the time that they did, being as outspoken, out there, and aggressive as they were, allowed progress to be made socially that thankfully Britain and America and lots of other places in the world are still enjoying today. Leslie, she was the lead singer of that band and she is very demure, which surprises me about her role as a revolutionary and that the band's role as revolutionaries within that system, because they deserve it. Any, any bio you read on them, you realize how important they were to that movement. They were beyond just the music. She also also really pushes back on her role as a lesbian icon. She states her claim here very, very clearly in this interview, which I really respect. But I thought that was interesting too. Here's this woman, again, Google Leslie Woods, Google Au Pairs, and you're going to hear a lot of big talk about pioneers and revolutionaries and icons and sexual icons and all that kind of stuff. And she really downplays a lot of that stuff. Unfortunately, like a lot of these bands, there's a lot of bad blood in the au pairs today. They've been broken up for 30-something years, and uh, there's really no chance that it sounds like anything's going to get ever kind of be repaired there, unfortunately. She is a lawyer. She's an immigration lawyer in London, which is just incredible. She's a really interesting lady. I have to admit, this interview was done a few months ago. And I've been sitting on it for a while, and I'll explain at the very end of the episode why that's the case. But I thought it was a, I, I, I'm kind of amazed and so appreciative that Leslie talked to me. And I hope you guys who are listening come away with a curiosity about post-punk. I mean, we hear post-punk, we think bands like Public Image Limited, Gang of Four, Joy Division, Au Pairs are up there too. She called me from her home in London. The Opeth had a very short lifespan anyway. We got a taste of rock and roll. We weren't really, we didn't really make any money out of it. In fact, running out of money, I think, was part, part one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why we split up and um, really? weren't able to carry on. Yeah. Bad management, bad decisions. Yeah. Nobody around us really was a I mean, the guy who was a manager, bless his cotton socks, he wasn't really a businessman. So, yeah. although I was willing to carry on, um, the others, they decided they didn't want to. Yeah. 
yeah. I think that that it was actually a bit too much for them, really. I've wondered um, about that. I mean, you, with a band that's as aggressively political as you guys were, and mm-hmm. especially with you, and we'll get deeper into this later, but coming with such a sexual agenda as well, I wondered if the other guys maybe thought, I just want to be in a rock group. I just want to have fun and um, rock out. Or were they as politicized as you were? Well, I mean, I've, mm, no, that's a bit difficult. Um, I think the problem was that we got a stereotype as a political band. I mean, uh, I write songs. I've always written songs. Sure. And the problem I found in the au pairs that I did feel kind of restricted, like people coming up to me and sort of expecting me to write songs about the latest political issue, which was very quite creatively restricting. I don't think the others were um, as political. The thing is, I I got my consciousness raised when I went to Uh Keele University, which was like a left-wing hotbed, and I got into feminism and I got into left-wing politics. So yeah, I was I was political, probably more political than the others in the sense I've had more exposure to left-wing politics and feminism than the others had had. And it certainly did inspire the first, if you like, Opeth songs that I wrote because it gave Mm -hmm. a language to a lot of things that I felt very angry about. I don't think it was ever a case that the others wanted to be an ordinary rock band. Because, okay. like, for example, when, when we split up, apart from, uh, I don't know, I mean, for example, Jane, I know, hasn't uh-huh. played hasn't played her bass virtually since the au pair split yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Which Paul is a went, shame, because she's amazing. Yeah, it is a shame. It's a tragedy, yeah. really. Yeah. But obviously that meant that the chances of, of us ever reuniting mm-hmm. in the same format were very Reduce. low. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Paul went back to, I think, what his, his, he was, before I, with the au pairs, he was, like, involved with blues and jazz and knew some old okay. guys who'd been around on the Birmingham scene in that kind of, and he just, um, if you like, I think he just wanted to get out of the limelight and wanted a bit yeah. of a quiet, sane life. And Probably. so he went back to, to doing that, and he's teaching music. Pete, I don't really know what he's doing. I've not heard about any musical ventures that he's been involved okay. with. I've In recent years, in the last few years, I've started playing the odd gig again, yeah. uh, doing performances with backing tapes. Um, I've just, I've that's what I was doing. I've seen some of those clips on YouTube. Yeah, you I mean, with your I'm, acoustic guitar and a, and a, like a drum machine I, I'm not play, Yeah, that's what I started doing when I first, the trouble with social media is you come out, you haven't played for ages. I had to go back to square one. I hadn't played for many, right. many years. I had to learn how to play in time again. I started off just mucking about with an acoustic guitar, wrote some, some new songs. And the thing is, you do these gigs, and the problem is you're not really ready for any exposure because mm-hmm. you're still finding your confidence and your feet. But yeah. the problem is that people film you, they put you out there, and in a way it's very annoying because you think, oh, God, I wish they hadn't done that because I'm not ready. Right, but then, right. But then I actually, I've worked on, um, I've got some software, Ableton Live, and uh, I've actually made some backing tapes, and I'm now playing electric guitar. Oh, I'm working good. with backing tapes. So I've done okay. quite a few few gigs now uh, with that kind of um, situation. Uh, in, which is involves some old au pairs material and involves new material that I've written. Cool. And my, I'm feeling a lot more confident now. And uh, I'm actually starting okay. to work 
with other people now on new projects like um, really yeah so these guys these three guys in Belfast who need a singer I'm going to start mucking about with them so I don't know where okay. that's going to go how often do you play well you have a regular well, job right you're a lawyer I well, I'm self-employed, right? so I I usually okay. I, I pick the hours that I work. But okay. yeah, I'm a, I'm an immigration hack, so I yeah, so uh, that's what I specialize in immigration law. So yeah, okay. that keeps that keeps the walls from the door. Yeah. So that's how I pay my bills. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're okay. a lawyer. You keep you're self-employed. You keep your own hours. You can this frees you up to do whatever musical projects on the side that you want to do the last yeah. couple of years it sounds like you play out occasionally um yeah. is that on a i don't even i mean forgive me i wasn't i wasn't there at the time i've only come to the au pairs much later is this the kind of th does your name carry some weight to it where if you show up at a club and leslie woods of the au pairs is on the marquee um, that it draws a crowd or are you kind of having to hustle for gigs too well, I, I wouldn't say that I sell out big gigs uh, by any means, but um, there's okay. still a, like there's still pockets of people that remember the au pairs. So that okay. when I do get asked to play a gig, there's usually um, a reasonable crowd of people there good. Who, who, who've come to see. But I'm very choosy about which gigs I do because I find mm. the music business is a very well. It can be very soul destroying. So I'm very choosy in a way about what gigs I play, and I tend to just play very small, intimate, very friendly gigs, you know, yeah. where where okay. really it's like people in the audience will be singing along to the sure. words of the songs. Where, you they know, probably bring uh, their old au pair albums for you to sign and everything, right? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. okay. And, and I mean, a lot of the, like, smaller musical ventures, like yeah. that... Um, I think I could have got on the bill for are like going under like that. I don't know if you've heard of something called all tomorrow's parties. Oh, of course. Yeah, definitely. Well, apparently um, they put like the raincoats on. And so I thought, well, like if the raincoats can play, I'm sure I could play. Sure, so, um, sure. But unfortunately they've gone into administration and I think it's because certain people named acts are, yeah. are insisted on really astronomical amounts of money probably. which an organization like that really just can't afford to yeah. pay so yeah, probably. the, the probably. result is that they've gone under um yeah. which is a shame really yeah. let me ask you this oh go ahead no please no go on go on what well, you i was going to say in preparing for our conversation i've been kind of trying to find old interviews and um articles and stuff on the band and I found a few, many of which that were interviews with Jane from about eight to ten years ago. And at the time, mm. she it sounds as if the rest of the band, and I don't want to focus on this too much. I want to talk about the, the heyday. But it sounds like the rest of the band sort of keeps in contact a little bit. And I think you were sort of on like a, a media no-talk phase for many years. Do you, is that, were you, I mean, are you friendly with them or... No, no, not at all. No, not at all. And I know what okay. you're talking about because recently things have sort of like come to a bit of a head. And I was doing my own research, and I actually found some stuff that Jane said in interviews, and I was actually quite shocked. Oh, um, oh, I had I, I had no idea that she felt like that about me. But I think what's happened really is the three of them are still in Birmingham. They mm. do have some sort of contact with each other, and they have like 
sort of because I think partly because I wrote the songs and because I played the guitar and sang that in a way it's arguable that my contribution musically was perhaps greater than anyone else's. So yeah. I think they feel very defensive about that. So Maybe. what they seem to have done is they seem to have kind of ganged up against me. So it's very much a case of me against the three of them. Yeah, so yeah. Right, it's a shame. At the moment, yeah, it is a shame. but And it's very, very annoying um, yeah. considering what the au pair's ethos was. For me, I just very think much. you're a bunch of... You're a bunch of bloody hypocrites. But as you yeah. say, I don't want to get into a bitchy thing. Sure. The other yeah, thing I was I, I I read the sleeve notes that um, was done were written by Paul to some CD, CD of the Opez that was re-released in okay. around that time, 2008. Uh-huh. And again, I was very shocked to see what he wrote about me. And it, and it just all came from the perspective of someone who'd had their nose put out of joint. Yeah, it was just yeah. really petty. It was very childish, very spiteful. Mm. And uh, again, I just think it says more about them than anything else yeah, and where they're coming from. But sure. yeah, things that have kind of come to a head at the moment because we're trying to like think, I would like to sell the Opez catalog and also I'd like to get the my songs back. So these these sort of issues are like, just sort of like have a kind of triggered a, a sure. quite a, a, a big argument. But no, no I haven't bad. seen them. No, I'm not friends with them. Okay. And, they, I, and from what I've read, that what they've written about me, I, I get this, I get this distinct impression that they just don't like me. Yeah, that's kind <laughs> of what I, it sounds like. But I didn't want to say that because that sounded so harsh. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I wondered what the deal was if there was some drama back there. Okay, so let's talk about the glory days. So. Late 70s, London. Well, did you come up in Birmingham? You came up in Birmingham, right? Yeah, we formed in Birmingham, yeah. Okay. So you're in Birmingham. Now, I had Ranking Roger on here recently um, from the English Beat, General Public, obviously. Uh, yeah, he I, was on Radio 6 the other day. Oh, was he? Oh, yeah. I love Yeah, him. he used to come to our gigs, yeah. Well, he, that's he, what I was getting at, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of envisioning this, I mean... England's not that big, and we have such, in the States, have such a romanticized view of what that late 70s, early 80s, new romantics, post-punk, punk, punk, new wave, you know, scene would have been with, like, The Clash and Gang of Four and Public Image Limited, and you're right there. You're in the throes of all of that, you know? You're one of the bigger bands in all of that at the time, I'm guessing, right? Um, I don't know about one of the bigger bands, but um, we were certainly there amongst them. Yeah. Did you feel like you were a part of something big, or were you just, it could have been any period, and that just happened to be the chapter you grew up in, and, you know, Uh, were you seeing greatness around you? I I remember we were conscious that there, yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of those guys, we knew them, that. Like someone like Rankin Roger, he used to come to our gigs, and then he got in, into the beat. We uh-huh. knew all those guys, but that's because they all came from Birmingham. And then we kind of made friends with the Gang of Four because I think the guy who was playing the role of our manager knew somebody to connect it with the Gang of Four, and then we kind of got to know them. And then the we, Gang of Four offered us um, our first tour in the states. Oh. So, 
yeah, I mean, it was like you, you, through playing music and, and becoming popular, like actually sure. getting a fan base, it gave you clout to be able to sort of like, sort of, you know, hold your head mm-hmm. up and sort of like, go and chat to them and then like then you know they would watch you then you'd support the gang of four and then they'd like you and then they'd say well come we'd like you to support us on our american tour you know and we played on the bills with quite a lot of those guys like obviously i can't remember it all very clearly Mm -hmm. at all but I i know we were on the same bill as the gang of four a lot we were on the same bill as delta five the raincoats the the beat lots of bands Cool. A pig, pig bag, yeah. Oh, pig food. bag. Love pig bag, yeah. Yeah. Cool. And pig bag oh. played on our second album. We became very friendly with them. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, I'd love to know what happened to all of those guys. I'd love to get back in touch with some of them. Me too. Maybe I should track them down. I've thought about them, actually, to get them on the show. That's the idea is to, like, talk to bands that, you know, we haven't heard from for a while that we love and find out what they're doing now, you know? Yeah. Well, if you do do get in touch with them, tell them I was asking after them and that I'd love to hear from them. I will. I'm going to get to work on that. That would be fun. Yeah. So, um, I mean, did you? So, when you came, I mean, that was obviously a very heady, politicized <laughs> time. Anyway, punk rock is almost completely steeped <clears throat> in politics more so than it is in like, you know, sex and what or love or what most of pop music is. The the party line on the au pairs is the political aggression and the sexual politics. Yeah. Was that, yeah. I mean, it, do you feel like that's an accurate description of what the au pairs were about? Or did you think maybe you were a little more fun-loving than that and it just maybe got lost in the translation somewhere? No, I think, I think, well, I, I think also, I think there's a lot of humor in a lot of the songs anyway that you yeah. could say were about sexual politics, like Come Again, which yeah, is about I'm faking orgasms.
I think that's a very humorous song. I think, yeah, we uh, were very humorous. We were also very angry. Um, yeah. But as, as I said at the outset, I think the problem was that when you write songs, if you write political songs, well, like take someone like Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan writes not just political songs. He writes songs that are about love, about romance. The thing, I, as I tried to explain at the very beginning, I think as a songwriter, I felt ultimately quite restricted by that banner that we had mm. acquired that it, I felt almost like we had to write songs about politics or sexual mm -hmm. politics. Mm -hmm. And also, don't forget, although now the Fool are doing cover versions of chic songs like Lost in Music, yeah, at the yeah. time, at the time punk was in its heyday, to say that you liked Dolly Parton or to say that you liked chic <laughs> would have, like, blown your cool. It just wasn't right. the same thing. And it, and it, was, and it was like, and when, when you look at people at, during punk years, you know, there was a very dark side to it. A lot of the time, people didn't laugh. They walked around looking miserable as sin because that was mm -hmm. the way, that was the cool look. I'm not saying right, that there wasn't right. a lot to be, you know, that time in England, kids, there wasn't any computers, there weren't any sure. mobile phones, there weren't any videos. You were just coming out of that sort of like Cold War phase. You know, these kids had who were working class kids or just like, Middle England kids, they had nothing going on in their lives. They had no futures, really. Yeah. So, like, punk came along, and at some, they had something to go out to see, you know, like, yeah. that belonged to them. So I think... It spoke that, to that, their kind of oppressed aggression. Yeah, you know, but, but like I say, I don't know, I can't remember... I mean, we. I mean, I look at a lot of photographs of the au pairs, and, the, and a lot of them, we are laughing... Yeah, and um, I, so. I, I think it's really ridiculous to suggest that I had no sense of humor. I've always had an amazing sense Definitely. of humor. I, I've always been a clown. But I do think that, yeah, it, it seemed to me, to a certain extent at least, that it was, it was fashionable, in inverted commas, to yeah. go around looking miserable. But that also could have something to do with the drugs that everyone was sure. yeah. taking, you know, like yeah. drugs that... <laughs> The poor man's, you know, the speed and uh -huh. whatever, you know. Yeah, but, um, yeah. It, it, it wasn't, you know, there was, it, there was a grungy sort of, there was a right. nightmarish side to it all, you know. I believe it. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. yeah Not to sure. mention all, all the, like, NF violence at gigs and the, the yeah. skinheads and, you know. And, and in a way, I think that's, although the au pairs had a very short-lived career, but I've been listening to a lot of stuff that Viv Albertine has to say about her time in the slips and I've read her yeah. book and I think one of the points she makes is really true that well, you carry on like that in the face of such anger like she talks right. about an incident where Ari Up got stabbed by a bunch of guys who just oh. like really couldn't cope with the idea of these women behaving like the slits did and dressing like they did oh. she made the point that you can't really endure dealing with that level of hostility mm -hmm. or like or death threats or like attempts yeah. on your life you know you can't how long can you go on for right. like being gobbed at and whatever do you know what i mean yeah i do i mean that's uh and, and you know people who you're in these um in these small kind of tight sweaty hot clubs with probably i'm guessing the majority of the crowd are 
young men who are in those clubs kind of slam dancing or pogoing to the punk sounds because they, like we said, got to release some of this aggression. And then there's yeah. women up there, very empowered women who are singing very aggressive, in your case, these sexual politics songs or these national poli- politics songs or whatever. And they probably don't even quite know how to deal with it, you know? And there's you yeah. and there's polystyrene and there's the slits, but they don't know how to still, I would imagine, maybe treat you like women. Maybe they, uh, I don't know, maybe you can correct me, but I mean, maybe they, they're just such young lads, so pent up of like testosterone and aggression yeah. that they just, they got to let it out. It's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Oh, well. So tell there me about, uh, yeah, so. Okay, so another thing that's a big thing with you is the fact that you're a lesbian. And that Well, actually, actually I I've never said I was a lesbian. I've never said I wasn't. Really? But, um no, I mean I think uh, if I'm going if I'm going to talk about if I'm gonna, says that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's not me. That's not from the horse's mouth. Oh, um, interesting. But I mean, I I suppose if I, I I'm you know, I haven't been sexually active for a long time, but I suppose if I, my sexuality, if I was to define it, I would say I was bisexual. I've had relationships with men and relationships with women. Oh, But I've, I have never actually said I was a lesbian. I've never denied really? being a lesbian. I've never said right. I wasn't a lesbian, but, well, maybe I'm denying it now. You know, it really depends what's going on in your life at the moment, you know. Sure, like Tom Robinson, sure. Tom Robinson, for years, was a die-hard gay man. Made a song yeah. about it. The British police are the best in the world. I don't believe one of these stories I've heard about them raiding our pubs for no reason at all. Lining the customers up by the wall. Picking out people, knocking them down. Resisting arrest as they're kicked on the ground. Searching their houses, calling them queer. I don't believe that sort of thing happens here. Now he's he's a heterosexual married man, so yeah. So I think the yeah. thing about sex, the thing about sexuality is that it, it it is it can be flexible, and in my case, I think that's really probably the, the best way of describing my yeah. own personal okay. sexuality. So yeah, obviously wow. I've had I've I've had scenes with women, I've had scenes with men. I'm, I'm uh-huh. not very good at having long term relationships. I have a long-term relationship with my dog. There you go. Okay. And he's not a sexual relationship, obviously. Of course, of course. He's a boy, okay. and he, he's he. But yeah, I've loved well, then him. Well, how do you? I'm curious then, because, <laughs> like I said, for eight years, your longest yeah. relationship. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But he, well, because, he doesn't argue with me. Right. <laughs> that, that's what makes it easy, right? That's well, what it, makes it, relationships it, last so long. In a way, I think an animal is a lot easier to love than a human being. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. yeah. Well, then how do you feel? Because, I, honestly, every description of the au pairs is 
you being a lesbian. This, now, here's the deal. I mean, it's, I find it hard to, I'm not really a lyrics person anyway, but I find it hard to decipher the lyrics of punk songs, especially yours, and a lot of them are not online. And so I'm kind of trying to piece together. I hear the aggression. I hear a word or two here and there that might be suggesting homosexuality, but I don't see anything outright. So how do you feel then if you've never been, you know, put a stake in the ground and said, this is who I am, that that is how people view you and your band? Sorry, I didn't quite get that question. Okay. How do I? How do you feel I mean, some about... Of my, some of my songs, which were written perhaps when I was involved with women, are, are like more, um, more, les- more on the focus of women-to-woman love. Yeah. But that, okay. I think that's like anybody who writes a sure. song or paints a picture. Whatever's going... Sometimes whatever might be going on in their personal lives might come out in their art or their mm-hmm. what well, what should, their lyrics. Right? Yes. Like for yeah. example with Tom Robinson when he was obviously a gay man, he wrote Sing If You're Glad to Be Gay. Right. Um I don't know if he'd write it today because he's no longer in a he no longer I presumably identifies as a gay man. He might identify as a gay man in a relationship with a woman. I don't right. know. But that's that's what I mean about sexual identity. It's very yeah. flexible. But I didn't quite get your question. Well, yeah. So how do you feel then that that is sort of the legacy of the au pairs, is that you were one of the first out according to history? I'm not saying this is what it was at the time. I don't, I don't mind that. I don't mind that you at don't. all. I don't okay. mind that. I don't mind that. So what you've got to bear in mind is the context when the things like that perhaps were being written or those uh, questions were being asked, you've got to bear in mind that the law around um, right. homosexuality was not quite, in fact, was nothing like what it is now. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, that um, has obviously changed in society. But at the time, it was completely illegal. And, of course, it mm-hmm. still is in a lot of the world. So okay. in, ter- in terms of politics, obviously, I felt very strongly about gay rights and was very Did you identify, maybe not outwardly, but in- internally, did you identify as a lesbian at the time, in the late 70s, early 80s? Is that how you viewed yourself? Uh, I, I don't think I ever identified it? myself or labeled myself as anything, but I, presume okay. I was very, very open yeah. and very receptive. And also, I could see the flagrant injustice in denying gay people the right to um, have relationships with each other on, in the same way that heterosexual people could. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. to me, that was a, that was a flagrant injustice, sure. whichever way you identified, really. Right. right. Yeah. Do you uh, feel like a pioneer? Because I feel like you have been sort of buoyed up as this, you know homosexual pioneer in a lot of ways. Do you um, feel that way? Do you ever get sort of comments? I don't feel like a pioneer per se. No, no I, I just feel well, who who's going to who is who which pi, pioneer would describe themselves as a pioneer? Yeah, true. I don't know, you know, well, I, I guess somebody that, who felt like they were fighting for a cause at one time when that cause was in the minority may recognize that they yeah, I think lots of people were fighting the cause, yeah. though. It's just that because I was had a, a voice to to make public, 
I could perhaps... In that way, perhaps I could would be perceived as a pioneer, but there's lots of people whose voices were there who are not known, but they're just as yeah. much pioneers, if you see what I mean, totally. what I'm yeah, trying to sure. say. Yeah. The, only, the only reason why you could say I was a pioneer was because it got published, because I was standing on a stage shouting and singing about it or talking right. about it right. in interviews. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I can't imagine there were very many other people, though, who were in that. No, I think most people, most people were very um, scared of saying they were out. Like I said, yeah. you have to you have to bear in mind the context. Sure. These, there were people that were obviously gay who denied being gay. Yeah. Yeah. Because that would have lost them their record contracts. It would have lost them their fan base. It would have lost them their incomes. Yep. Do you see what? Yep. So obviously, I was very conscious of that, and so part of it was about kicking the bin over and saying, "Fuck this for a laugh." You know, it's time that everybody was able to say who, you know, claim their mm -hmm. identity right. without fear of persecution or whatever as a result yeah. or loss of livelihood. You know, I mean, there are bastions of homosexuality that remain, like football. Sure. You know, I mean, yeah. that's possibly in the West. That's the last remaining bastion. I mean, you've had gay people come out in the army to a certain yeah. to a certain extent anyway, and you've had gay right. people come out in the police. But um, uh, it's the football yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, that's true for America too. Professional athletes who are still in the game are still not ready to come out and sort of, that's, you're right, that's kind of the last bastion of, of a sexually empowered minority. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. you know, everything you're saying, though, I mean, I know that that was a very radical time. Every band, even the fun bands like the Specials or the English Beat or whatever, still had an agenda, but it was usually around, you know, especially in the two-tone world, sort of combining blacks and whites harmoniously, and but not a lot of them are singing about sexual politics like you are. So I, even though you may not feel like a pioneer, I think people would view you as one. I think they would view you as a as a radical oh, thank speaking you. up for yeah I mean I think you're speaking speaking up for a minority when not a lot of people are doing that and it's a really risky time to even do that but you just you were ballsy about it you know well you maybe maybe that, that that might explain why we <laughs> we went under well that's what you know frankly that's kind of what I'm was wondering too if like yeah. it was too fast and too hot politically to laugh yeah for a and long too time, radical you know and I mean? yeah. Too radical and too honest and yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, but I mean, I suppose because we didn't start off like coveting fame and fortune, yeah. it, it, it's like it didn't really matter, you know. Right. If you see what I mean, if we if sure. if, if we if, if record companies wouldn't touch us with a barge pole because of our explicit refusal to conform or to play any yeah. game and. So, yeah, maybe that's why we, we never really, uh, possibly why, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the longer yeah. you do something, the better you get at it. Sure. And I do. I think it's a shame in a way that the au pairs didn't take a break, didn't recharge their batteries, write some new material and come back and carry on playing. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. You know. It is too um, bad. But, so let's um, talk about the good times. I mean, I want to I hear some fun rock and roll stories. So you, I mean, you're a, 
I don't know how old you are, but I'm assuming you're in your late teens, early 20s, around the time, late 70s, when the band starts coming together. And yeah. you're playing in these clubs, and you're seeing your peers, like we said, the Beat and Gang of Four and whoever else, sort of starting to get noticed. There's some attention being put on your scene. I imagine there was a three-year period or so there where you made a living just as a musician, even if it was a struggling one. Is that right? Did you feel like you were living the rock and roll dream? I don't. I, don't, I have no idea. It's such a long time ago. I really can't remember. I really don't. From the fight, because it wasn't a very. We didn't have a very long career. Uh-huh. I can't. I don't I have no idea what happened. I really don't ah, know. Interesting. Uh, I just don't know because it seems like we we toured a lot. But when you're touring, because you live this very surreal lifestyle of going to a gig, sound checking, going to a hotel, and uh-huh. then after that you play, then you go to the sound check, and then you play the gig, and then you go out, you get out of your head, then you crash out, then you get up. Mm-hmm. Because you're on that kind of roller coaster, and you're yeah. not paying bills, and you're not really uh-huh. conscious of bills coming in. True. It's like you. I had no. I have no idea what. Very true. Yeah. What in the terms of finances or making a yeah. living? Yeah. Um, okay. You were just what, doing it. You weren't thinking yeah, about that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. yeah, but I I do know that when we ended, that there was, to, uh, as far as I'm aware, well, I I have no idea what really if there was money in the kitty or not. I know I didn't uh-huh. get any. Okay. <laughs> no, I yeah. didn't have any. I didn't yeah. get any money for many, many years. Uh, yeah, that's another, that's another. That's another story. Yeah, um, I believe it. I mean, the au pairs. Unfortunately, as great a band as they are, they're not one of those bands that have a song that gets played on the radio or anything like that. In fact, your albums are really hard to find. <laughs> two of them, I don't believe, ever came out on CD. I think oh yeah, they, they've been re-released on CD. Okay. Because I know there's that anthology that in, that includes pretty much everything. So there's playing with um, a different sex has just been re-released on CD. Okay, good. I wondered about it because it's such a great album. It deserves to be. Were there? Did you have a moment where you heard your song on the radio? I mean, I don't even know. Were you getting uh, played on the radio very much? Did you have hit singles? Well, I, I think that's down to record companies and whether they could, could get a song played on the radio yeah. in those days. Um, I think our us. It's equal but different, it's obvious. Um, Hovered around on the peripheries of the charts somewhere...
we were number one in the independent charts, I think, for a long time. But you're going back yeah. an awfully long time, and it's, and it's really hard for me to kind of really remember. Okay. But yeah. I do think I remember uh, that it did get played once okay. on Radio 1. But I don't, obviously, okay. it, didn't, it didn't cut through. Because, it, it, I mean, it wasn't commercially produced. You yeah. know, it wasn't, it yeah. wasn't produced to, to, to cut through in a commercial way. And again... Yeah. In hindsight, one wonders what would have happened with the OPEs if they'd had proper management, proper producers. Mm -hmm. But at the time, those sort of things were not part of what we wanted. Yeah, yeah. You know, we were. Now, let me ask you this. Oh, sorry. I, I keep reading that a third album was going to begin and was slated to be produced by Steve Lillywhite. Right, that's, that a, that's a load of lies. That is, is a really? load of uh, that's a load of rubbish made up by Paul Fode because of what happened at the end. It's all lies, basically. Wow! Because apparently well, you missed the gig and no, I tell quit. you what. What really then, happened okay. yeah, was that um, I left Birmingham for reasons that perhaps I shouldn't go into. But basically, okay. the whole thing had disintegrated. Jane had already left the band. She'd shacked up with the keyboard player who was playing keyboards on our second album, who was a complete and utter dickhead. Uh -huh. And Paul was, uh, like, losing the plot. And Martin, the manager, was sticking heroin up his arm like it was going out of fashion. Okay. So in the midst of this horrible nightmare, I left Birmingham, and right. I went to Patrick Meehan, who owned the record company at that moment who bought it out from human records or something. And he was a very rich man. And I said, I've got no money. Give me some money. Mm -hmm. So he gave me some money and he said, I'll give you some more money. If you get the others to come in the studio with Steve Lillywhite. Mm -hmm. So I mm -hmm. called a meeting with Paul and Pete. And I said, if you come into the studio with Steve Lillywhite, we can get some more money. And they said they didn't want to carry on. Oh. So, then I so then I just split. Wow. So that, that's, that's what happened. But okay. Paul, has re Paul has rewritten history to yeah. suit his own purposes. Paul just lost the plot because he was smoking a lot of um, strong hashish. And, uh, yeah, maybe. He just maybe. couldn't cope uh, with it. Okay. Just hard, so do you, I down. mean, were there any good stories? I mean, do you look back at your time? I don't even know. Did you, t I think you toured the States a little bit, right? Did you open for David Bowie or did you, no. you know, anything, <laughs> anything fun? I think fun? I remember that. We did support the B-52s. Yeah, I mean, I remember the first time we went over the States, it was really funny because we had to smuggle in the guitars because in those days you needed a visa to go to the States. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And, and we, most of I don't think any of us had ever been on an airplane before. And those were the days that you could smoke on airplanes and get completely rat yeah. off, sure. which is what we did. And uh -huh. uh, when we got off the plane, I know that Martin, the guy who was managing us, he left his passport on the plane. And that, oh, no. Yeah, and then we all got interviewed about why we were coming to the States. We were supposed to not say that we were playing a gig because that would have been like we're working and then we would have needed a visa to work. Yeah. So, and I know that we, that we were all drunk and that um, Paul got, <laughs> it was just really, well, that was just quite funny because like nobody could get their stories straight because sure, everybody sure. was completely hammered. Right. So, yeah, but fortunately oh, uh, they found Martin's 
passport. We did all get in, and yeah, it was okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. So no fun. Like, did you meet a hero? I mean, I don't know who your musical heroes were when you were coming up. Well, I know that I don't all our heroes. Well, Lou Reed was definitely a hero, and Paul uh, and Pete used to. Paul and Pete used to love Lou Reed, and one time he was playing in Birmingham, and they went to the hotel where he was staying. And um, they crept up the stairs where all the rooms were, and he came around the corner, but then they just ran away. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> so, so, it's <laughs> the kind that. of thing you would do, I suppose, really, yeah. if your hero yeah. actually okay. sort of came veering uh. towards you. Got a feeling we might have gone on the old green whistle test, and I think Patty Smith was on it okay. at the same time. And there I don't go. think I actually met Patty Smith, but what's the name of the guitarist who plays uh, with Lenny her? Kay? Lenny yeah, Kay. I think I was in a cab with him. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. so, so huh. yeah, I, I can't really okay. think off the top of my head of any really funny stories. I mean, I can okay. think of some funny stories, but um, you mean the meeting heroes? And, <laughs> no, I, yeah, okay. I'm a bit okay. hard pushed. So after the au pairs come to an end, I think you started an all-girl group called, is it Darlings? Is that right? Oh, yeah, I messed about with some um, friendly lesbians and, like, we were just mucking uh-huh. about, but it didn't really it didn't really come to anything. But the guitarist out of that, Debbie Smith, went on to far greater things. She ended up playing guitar with a band. Was it called Curve? I can't remember, but Curve. they got... sure. Yeah, they got they really, band, really, yeah. really popular. But uh-huh. they, they, they were like, a, but they, I don't know what happened to them. So, yeah, I don't know but, either, but they were big there, like that shoegaze period, late 80s, early 90s. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, okay. she, she, did, she did really well, and she's still playing, and she's still okay. a friend. Okay. Um, yeah. So we just mucked about, we didn't really go anywhere. Okay. I think there was. I think there was a bit of internal ego problems. You right. know, I think. Okay. I think. I think perhaps you get that in bands sometimes when, yeah. well, yeah, bands when there's too many. When you get, I don't know. I always thought that because I think it the happens au pairs. To most of them. Yeah, it does actually. In the end, you know? I mean, it happens. Yeah. It happens. It happens with the au pairs in the end for all yeah. their intentions. You know, people start competing with each other and start feeling like their noses are getting out of joint and they're not yeah. getting sufficient attention, unfortunately. Even the successful bands are, are hampered by ego problems. Look at the Stones, you know? Nick and, yeah. Nick and Keith, Keith can't hang out with each other, but they still carry on and because they have to, but you know they're not friendly, you know? It's, it's really? They always used to be. Well, apparently. I, I haven't read Keith's book yet, but all of the kind of... Well, that's not what I've always... I mean, I know they're very different, have yeah. very different personalities and they do like live quite independently but I've always thought they that they've always been like there's been a very solid bond between them I never mm. really because they're so different I've always yeah. felt that that they've never really been like in competition with each other well I think know? I would say it's probably more of a business relationship at this point than any kind of a friendship you know I think that's true well, for a lot of duos Paul and long, 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 Simon time. and Garfunkel you know Simon and Garfunkel can't stand each other. Hall and Oates have well, a business I, I, relationship. A lot yeah. of people are like that, you know? Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. Simon and Garfunkel, it was, Garfunkel wasn't really, yeah, he's not really, I, wouldn't, I don't think he's really a musician. I mean, no, he's, he's a voice. Uh, one of the most yeah. beautiful voices ever, but unfortunately that's 
most of what he has going for him, probably. Yeah, well, you know? I think Paul yeah. Simon's much more. He, well, he's the one who wrote all the songs, isn't he? Exactly. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, so okay. So then, when you, st- I mean, I'm guessing it's around mid '80s, '85 or so, when your music career basically comes to an end. Did you try to stick it out and keep? soldiering on as a musician well, no, because like, like I say, no, when I, like I say, when I had that meeting with Paul and Pete uh-huh. and they just said to me they didn't want to carry on, I mean, I tried my best to persuade them and then, and then a few, in recent years after that, I made various attempts to get to see if there was any chance of us like uh-huh. reuniting, reforming, but I always got a very negative response. So mm-hmm. in the end, I just gave up. Yeah. As you do, you know. But did you try, I mean, you mentioned the Darlings. Were there other bands where you sort of desperately trying to get something else off the ground to sustain a music career? Or were you fine just walking away and doing something different? Well, I always wanted to come back to music, and I always regretted it. But I I had personal problems like myself. I had a bit of a problem with my voice, like I lost my voice. And now, obviously, in hindsight, I realize that that was completely natural. And mm-hmm. I understand why that happened. And um, part of the reason why I've started playing again recently is just to prove that I can actually sing. But, yeah, um, keep the muscle going. Yeah, yeah. Well, but also it's a personal thing, really. True, um, okay. But, like, at the time when I lost my voice, I didn't really understand what was going on. And yeah. I didn't actually know what I know now. But right. I got very, very, very paranoid about it. And I developed a nervous stutter. So for a long time, doing anything concerned with using my voice took me back to a place where I felt very, I don't know, paranoid. Yeah, and I didn't, okay. want, I didn't want to go back there. So I, I think that's part of the reason why I've not, until I, felt, until I really got over it, and I, I got over it. It took me a long time to get over it, yeah. actually. It took oh. me years to get over it. And, wow. and I finally obviously did. And then when I was over it, I started, you know, being able to do it, to, to go and sing in front of people. But even wow. at home, like where I live, I would pick up the guitar and I'd sing. And I'd sing really, really quietly. I'd sing right <laughs> down yeah. in my boots because I'd be so paranoid that uh-huh. somebody would hear me. You know, it's like very wow. hard to explain. Unless you've been You're to You're a lead it, singer. That's so funny to feel that way. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly. Unless you've actually been through something like I'm talking about, yeah. you wouldn't understand what I was going on about. And the yeah. uh, reason why I started doing a law degree was basically to get my mind back. Okay. You know, I thought I'll start studying yeah. something really hard that I have just because my mind was really scrambled because I was suffering from this paranoia about my voice. Like I'd walk yeah. into a room and I'd think everyone in the room knew I'd lost my voice. And I think everyone was making funny noises because they were making funny noises because they knew I couldn't because I'd lost my voice. That's the, that's yeah. the amount of paran- That's how bad the paranoia was. And so I thought, I, you know, instead of, you know, I just thought, right, I've got to start doing something which gets mm-hmm. my mind back. So I started right. studying law. I couldn't understand a word of it, but I just passed my exams. I didn't expect to. That's amazing. Good for well, you. I don't know about that. I don't think well, so. It is. I mean, Speaking of somebody I can, who, anyone can. Yeah. I, uh, I'm gonna, I, I think I, I, sound, I have an issue that you might too, is that I'm only really, I can only really excel at things I'm good at, and there's a lot of things that I 
don't understand. And for me, I felt like math or science or technology, no amount of studying helps me get really all that much better. But it sounds like yeah. you were able to break through that. You might have had some of that too, but you broke through it and got your degree. That's miraculous. Speaking of somebody well, who could yeah, never do yeah, that, I'm amazed. It is quite miraculous considering how scrambled my brain was. Right. But the thing is, the thing is, I've been in immigration law now for many, 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 many years, and I'm not going to say I'm the best immigration law or even one of the best ones, but I, I do know my stuff. I am better than a lot of people, but that's only because I've been doing it for so long. And like now I realize that the, the more you do something, and I really believe this, it doesn't matter what, I mean, it depends, you've got to have an interest in it, because if you don't have an interest in it, you won't, you won't stick at it. Like you, I'm not interested in science, I'm not interested in technology, I'm not interested in finance. Yeah. So I'm, I'm never going to be able to stick at right. it and get good at it. But, you know, if something like doing asylum law was very interesting for me because I learned about human rights situations in all parts of the world, China, the Democratic Republic, the Congo, uh, all the African countries, all the Eastern yeah. European countries. And that was really, really interesting. And also it was really good to, to help refugees because you, you were satisfying that altruistic part of you. Sure. Sure. So I found my niche. So uh, I think it probably took me, again, it took me probably longer to become as good at immigration law than it would take most people. But, mm. yeah, I think I've now got to a point now where I'm, I'm, I can actually say that I'm, you know, I'm an immigration hack and that's yeah. my speciality. Okay. But it's taken Amazing. a long time. But yeah. uh, like I said, the longer if you something interests you and you stick with it, it's like me picking up the guitar again right. after so many years. I just couldn't play in time. And, and then I'd work, we'd be with people and they'd say, you've got to come in on the downbeat. And I just couldn't hear where I was going to supposed to come in. It's a bit like getting in a swimming pool and not knowing how to swim. Yeah, and then suddenly, yeah. suddenly, it all falls together. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it so, just works. Yeah. It yeah but, it was, but I had to relearn it from scratch yeah. virtually. And it's That's just rough. great, like three or four years of doing it it's all come back to me now. And now, because, I'm feel, because I have sung in front of people a few times, feeling a bit more confident, more relaxed, never going to go back to that dark space of paranoia again. If I lose my voice, I lose my voice, just an occupant natural hazard. Um, mm -hmm. Now I feel more confident. I'm going to start working with other people, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and so that's really, for me, in terms of pers something very personal and perhaps very intimate, that, to me, that is really good personal progress, good. you know. Good. Yeah, totally it is. Right I on. That's amazing. That is amazing. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm serious. Uh, Again, I could never do that. I don't know how many other, you know, former rock stars have the ability to pivot like that and become a lawyer and do the kind of work that you do as well as you do. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you're a unique talent that way. That's um, good for you. Well, uh, I think you, it's like someone said to me, they, they love photography, but they said, unfortunately, it doesn't pay the bills. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I mean, like, unless you are the Rolling Stones, or, right. it, it, or unless you've had a couple of hits, then yeah. um, unfortunately, it's very hard to make a living, a decent living. It I mean, is. it's all very well being poor when you're young and living in squats and right. not being able to afford, you, you don't care when you're young, but when you get to yeah. my age... <laughs> Yeah, it's not that easy anymore, is it? 
Oh, no, you like your creature you know, comforts, you know. Exactly, exactly. And, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I just want to ask you one more question, and it's uh, about your appearance in Erg a Music War. I mention that because that is one of these, you know, time time capsule films that just it depicts a time and an era that is so specific and so unique and so wonderful. We'll never see it again. And it's one of those movies that gets sort of discovered year after year. It's never become huge, but it's one of these things that you know music lovers stumble on eventually and then get turned on to all these other all this new music. Yeah. Do you ever get approached by that? Do you, how often do do people ever say to you, oh, I just found you through Erga Music? Oh, I do or... sometimes get emails, like, from people who say, oh, look, I've just heard playing with a different sex last week. I just needed to tell you yeah. how, what, blah, 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 blah. And that's, obviously, that's really touching. And I, 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 sure. I've never, you know, I had a girl stay here because um, I do Airbnb a bit, and she's from oh, Mongolia. Okay. But she was very, very well-educated, very cultured, very feminist. She was only 19, and... Um, I, because and I said to her, I said I used to be in a band called the Au Pairs, and on the first the first cover that we did of our first album, there's Mongolian women doing military mm-hmm. training, and she mm-hmm. said, "Oh, I've heard of the Au Pairs," and I was like, "You haven't." I said, wow. "You're only 19, and you come from Mongolia. How could you have right. heard of the?" You know, so I mean, yeah. things like that, I get really chuffed about. Obviously, wow. really like give me a great buzz. You know, it's really yeah. it's really nice. And it's nice to know that you've had some kind of influence on, like, apparently, like, mm-hmm. Gina Birch from the Raincoats was saying that she was sure that the au pairs or I had had an influence over the riot girl thing. Yeah, you know? totally you have. And I, yep. and I think that's, that's really cool, you know. But, Definitely. I mean, it's like, I'm, I think I'm in a very good space at the moment, you know. Like, good. I'm getting, like, it's hard to say. It's like, because I think a lot of old, those people from that time are coming out from under the carpet. Like, I saw Public Image a few weeks ago, mm. and John Lydon's the only guy left in the Public Image yep. now. Yep. But, I mean, they were brilliant, you know. Yeah. And yeah. I've had a really, I spend a lot of the time in the summer, like, watching music, seeing bands. There's a great festival over in the park where I live um, called Field Day. And like last year, they had Patti Smith sound checking. Nice. I mean, playing, 
I yeah. woke up actually on Sunday morning in my bed and could hear her sound checking. Uh, wow. It was amazing. Um, and like, they have great bands, not commercial bands, but the standard uh-huh. of musicianship is so high. And like this year, I saw a, um, a guy called John Grant. He's great. Oh, he's amazing. I love yeah. him. Yeah. And I, and, uh, I've never seen him before. And then I was, I've downloaded him on Spotify. So it's people like that. They're not like commercial big names. But yeah. they're like people that people who like music yes. are kind of get familiar with because they're doing great music. And it's yeah. like music of a very high standard of musicianship, which is very different from what punk was. Right. Punk was like almost the antithesis of that, you know. Yeah, like definitely. Just get up and play and play with three strings, play in a different yeah. key from the bass player. It doesn't matter. But right. yeah, and I saw another band called the Temper Trap. They were very good. Oh, love and them. PJ, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, my wife and I are big fans. We've seen them. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was really blown away by them. He's got yeah. such a beautiful voice. Oh, amazing. Such a great Yucky, range. Yeah. They're great. Yeah, they have a new like album that. out. Yeah. Love and them. then and, and PJ Harvey was headlining. Of course. So PJ, that was, of course. Yeah, yeah. So that was excellent. So, yeah, I mean, it's been a great year for me in Good. terms of, like, seeing music. And, 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 and I love that. I love that, yeah. you know, whether I'm not playing it or I am playing it. I love going and watching people who are yeah. doing it and, and, like, seeing that there are some really good musicians like I love John Grant's lyrics I think he's mm-hmm. his lyrics are brilliant you yeah, know I think yeah. It's, yeah he's a very very he's, talented person yeah, and that's fine that that's really encouraging for me and it makes me very so, very happy gives me a do you buzz. think you'll ever release some of your own music even if it's just a, you know I don't know I don't know I mean it's like yeah, I'd like to. I'd like uh-huh. to get. I'd like to get something um, worked out where where I feel would feel. I want to take that in the studio and I want to put it down. Uh-huh. I'd like to get something together, but I think I need to find the right musicians to do yeah. it with. Who, where there's that reciprocal inspiration, totally. they inspire yeah. me, and I inspire them. And right. I think that's a very very precious thing and I think it's quite hard to find 
Yeah. Like, yeah, like I said, is. you know, I'm not I'm not knocking the darlings. The darlings were very great, were very sweet, sure. but I didn't get that from them, and I haven't okay. had it with anyone really, apart from the yeah. au pairs. And of course, I had that when I was very young. Yeah, um, right. But it's hard to find that there's, chemistry. There's no shortage of people out there who can play. Yeah. But it's like you say, it's finding that chemistry. With yeah, that, you got to vibe with each other. Sure. And it doesn't mean you have to play something really um, particularly difficult or no. w- wonderful. It can be the very simplest thing, but just yeah. some, somehow you make that sound and you think that I really like that. That's really good. Right. <laughs> I love right. that. Yeah. I love you just got to be on the same page, right? You just want to be committed to each other and the creativity. Yeah. Of the yeah. yeah. Anyway, John, it's been well, nice talking to you. I'm sorry. Thank I'm, you so I'm not, much, Leslie. Sorry, I can't really remember a great deal about the OPS days, and also because I think we're going through a bit of an awkward patch. It's quite yeah. difficult for me to um, perhaps uh, rise to the occasion and and, and tell you like way. funny, happy anecdotes yeah. because yeah. Um, at the moment, uh, you know, I'm not. Uh, yeah. I, perhaps, maybe if I remember something, I'll put it. I'll let me know. Facebook let me know. Yeah, no, I will. This is great. They, I, okay. I really appreciate it. I've been fascinated by you for. I think I discovered you guys about 15 years ago, and yeah. I just always thought you were great, and um, always thought you were especially a compelling person. Now I'm learning who the real person is versus the kind of the legacy or the legend that carries on in your name, but there's not that big a difference and yeah well I just really was so fascinated by you and what motivates you artistically and so I really appreciate you doing this there you have it Leslie Woods now I mentioned earlier I was going to tell you why I've been holding on to this one we talked about in that interview about the the other uh, post-punk band pig bag I had reached out to pig bag and had made arrangements to do an interview on a couple of occasions with one of the members of the band, and they fell through, and I was really hoping to run those episodes back-to-back. And uh, I just, uh, maybe a week ago, finally heard, finally, from one of them saying that they too are involved in some legal squabbles that is sort of uh, putting a conversation with me on the back burner. So uh, that's why I was hanging on to him. I thought it would be really fun to run those two back-to-back, but unfortunately that's not going to happen. Maybe sometime down the line. Next week we are going to be focusing on another very important woman of alternative rock. This time we're going a little more into like the dance and synth-pop genre of the mid to late 80s, early 90s, but a really fascinating figure and a really wonderful interview. Huge thanks, as always, to Jan the Man Makevich for producing the podcast. If this is your first time listening, please find us on iTunes. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please write us a review. You can send me an email if you want at thehustlepod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, and you could message us with bands or artists that you love that maybe we could try and track down and have on the show. Or you can find us at, on Twitter, which I'm not on very often, at the Hustle Pod. All right, thanks, everybody. We will talk to you next Tuesday.